0: What's up, history owls? And we're back with another episode in our World War One series, the First Battle of Gaza. Uh, before we get into get started into the more interesting things, I'd like to just give you guys some bare concrete uh, background information about this battle. So to begin with, uh, with the successful conclusion of the Sinai Campaign, the Egyptian Expeditionary Force and its commander, Lieutenant General Sir Archibald Murray, had achieved their original objective, securing the Suez Canal against any further threat of Turkish attack. This victory led to pressure pressure from the British government under a new Prime Minister, David Lloyd George, to invade Ottoman-controlled Palestine, thus resulting in the Palestine Campaign that began with the First Battle of Gaza. The first battle of Gaza was fought on March, uh, 26th of March, uh, 1917. This battle was a powerful strategic undertaking by the British in the Middle East in 1917. Uh, The plan was not originally considered feasible, but the British military eventually decided the campaign was worth the effort. During this time, uh, previously by January 1917, the Allies had managed to force the Turkish army completely out of the Sinai Peninsula and northeastern Egypt, leaving Allied forces in the region commanded by Sir Archibald Murray free to consider a move into Palestine. To do so, however, they would first have to confront a string of strong Turkish positions atop a series of ridges running west to east between the towns of Gaza and Beersheba, blocking the only viable passage into the heart of Palestine. These Turkish forces, commanded by Gen- German General Friedrich Kress von Kressenstein, numbered some 18,000 troops. Murray planned to send twice that many British soldiers against them under the command of his subordinate Sir Charles Dobell. On the morning of March 26, 1917, Dobell and his men advanced on the ridges under the cover of dense fog. They were able to successfully cut off the east and southeast of Gaza and deploy troops to prevent the Turks from sending reinforcements or supplies to the town. The 53rd Infantry Division, at the center of the advance, received considerable assistance from a cavalry force commanded by Sir Philip Chetwald. However, near the end of the day, with a victory in Gaza in sight, Dobell and Sherwood decided to call off the attack. The decision attributed to the failing light and mounting casualties among the infantry troops, was nonetheless controversial. Other officers believed the Turks had been on the verge of capitulating. Though the infantry resumed their their attacks the next morning, the overnight delay had given Crescentine time to reinforce the permanent guard. Garrison at Gaza with 4,000 new troops after confronting a renewed Turkish counterattack, aided significantly by German reconnaissance recons- uh, aircraft from above dobo was forced to call off the attack his forces suffered 4,000 casualties during the first battle of Gaza compared with only 2400 on the Turkish side the First Battle of Kaza was considered a draw. The British suffered 4,000 casualties while the Turkish troops ended up losing 2,400. The War Office in London received information about the battle and it was Italy in- utterly incorrect, as the estimation of Turkish losses was suggested to be around 7,500 in comparison to the actual number of only 2,400. This led the powers that be in Britain to assume they won a major victory, but this was not the case at all. The false information led the British War Office to order an attack on Jerusalem. The Turkish troops were well prepared for such an attack, leading to another troubling incursion in the Middle East, or the Second Battle of Gaza.
1: For our soldier of the day, we have the oldest man in the brigade, Trooper Arthur Fitzherbert. He was desperate to fight when war broke out in 1914 and at 61 years old, however he was more than 20 years above the cutoff age for enlistment. He eventually managed to pass himself off as a man of 40 years old and joined the mountain rifles in Egypt at the end of 1915. He also died of wounds he received in action during this battle. 63 years old and he was likely one of the oldest men who fought with the New Zealand Mountain Rifles Brigade. Next up is our highlight of the battle, which is the following the Egyptian Expeditionary Force. The suffering of the troops on the Western Front is well known, with the mud, the rats, and the desolate wasteland being familiar, you know, those stereotypical images. And those who served in the Middle East faced different trials, sometimes completely opposite of what their colleagues would face back in France. Some wartime and post war narratives of the campaign in Egypt and Palestine played down the difficulties faced by the troops. After all, the tempo of the operations for, that, for the Egyptian Expeditionary Force was fairly low for much of the war. And to the press or those who had not been there, the sun and the sand could give the impression that life among the pyramids and fleshpots of the mysterious, of the mysterious East was an extended holiday. In truth, every day could be every day could be a struggle to survive the almost totally alien environment few if any of the british troops at all would have left their own country before and let alone travel to such areas even the australian personnel many of those whom have who are used to the hotter environment and terrains would find this extremely difficult It should not be forgotten what a culture shock arriving in Egypt would have been to almost everyone. In an age before, colored magazines, let alone television, to prepare them for these foreign cultures, vibrant sights, and the sounds and smells of the Middle East would have been almost overwhelming. Here, men would have been sent to the very different but equally strange environment of the desert. Here, life could be very hard indeed. Just the heat itself could be a serious threat. In the summer, temperatures regularly topped ninety degrees Fahrenheit in the daytime, while in the Chasmin, a hot blast of wind that blows for days on end up from the Sahara could send them soaring to over one hundred twenty degrees Fahrenheit. Yom Ray, Sergeant SF Hatton almost Hatton recalled spending several days cooped up in a tent with his best friend during the Chasmin. Our tempest
0: became very ragged. And though we had hunted together for some weeks, this afternoon we could have murdered each other. Things got worse and worse until it was difficult to keep one's sanity.
1: On the other hand, at nights, the temperatures fell drastically, and the troops nearer to the coast could find mist and dew forming and even freezing on their sleeping bodies. Later in 1917, the troops went from fighting in the sweltering deserts to being high in the wind-swept Jadin Mountains during the rainy season in a matter of days. Such extreme changes not only affected their physical health, but also morale. As men struggled to keep warm and dry in their desert uniforms, the climate was just one of the dangers to mental stability in the desert, and flies rapidly became another. They got everywhere and covered everything, especially food. Some soldiers tried to brush them away before eating, and others, in resignation, simply just ate the flies. Gunner Anthony Blewett recalled their effect after the war.
0: It is no light thing that sends a strong man into hysterics or drives one sobbing from his tent to rush about the camp in a frenzy of wild rage. Yet the flies did this and more. Thank you. All right, and now moving on to the real content of today's episode with the History Owls. Hooty-hoo! Today, we have brought in World War I poetry critic Kevin Lanshard. He will be sharing us some special knowledge and perspective about this battle with us today. Introduce yourself.
2: Hello everybody, my name is Kevin Lantzhardt and today I've decided to bring along a poem called The Dead Turk by a famous World War I poet named Geoffrey Dearmer. Now a little bit about Mr. Dearmer, he was a British soldier joined in 1914 and soon became an officer of the 22nd Battalion of the London Regiment called the Royal Sealers. He served his first service in Egypt and Malta, which where he had gotten the inspiration to write this poem, The Dead Turk, three years before his death in 1996. The poem reads as, dead, dead, and dumbly chill. He seemed to lie, carved from the earth in beauty without stain. And suddenly, day turned into night, and I beheld again. And still Centrion, with eyes ablaze, and Calvary re-echoed with his cry, his cry of stark amaze. Now, I really felt this poem. I felt like this poem really entails the emotional trauma, specifically towards uh, Mr. Jimmer, um in the Battle of Gaza, but more so the power and the motivation that death can bring upon a soldier. This poem really, this poem tells of an officer dying, and the next day, the fury still within his dead body brought forth his calorie to fight again and continue on. In the line, he re-echoed his cry in stark amaze. And it's not necessarily amaze in a good way, but the aston- astonishment of the realities of war, how brutal and cold it can be, but also the gray areas where men fight both mental, mental and physical battles. It's it's not just the war and like fighting. like These men don't necessarily want to fight each other, but they are still figuring out how to be a soldier and a man at the same time. And this poem really spoke to me in loud words. Thank you.
0: Thank you for that. It is important to acknowledge all experiences within the war. Now, to close off today's episode with us history owls, We're going to do a quick wrap-up by quizzing one of our loyal listeners. Introduce yourself, Owlet.
3: Hello, it's Chuck O'Chalky. I'm just kidding. It's uh, his cousin, Charles (laughs) Ochaki. Anyway, it's Gail, who isn't in this class, but I do listen to the podcast. So ask away, Janae. All right,
0: thank you. Here's question one. Where did the battle take place?
3: Hmm. Oh, the Allies had managed to force the Turkish army completely out of the Sinai Peninsula in northeastern Egypt, so Egypt.
0: Correct! Question two, who was in command of the Allied forces?
3: Oh, uh, there was a British Army officer, Sir Archibald Murray, who planned the attacks. Correct again! What an intent listener. Question three, who was in charge of the Central Powers? Oh, I know this one! The Turkish troops were commanded by the German General Frederick Kress von Kressenstein, numbered some 18,000 troops. Mm -hmm.
0: Correct again! Wow, I didn't even know this this much and I'm the podcaster. Question number four, so how did the battle go?
3: Well, first they ended up sending troops to cut off the supply route and this stopped the Turks from sending reinforcements or supplies to the town. Then the 53rd Infantry found themselves in the middle of the fighting commanded by Sir Philip Chetwode, but then he ended up calling off the next strike because daylight was running low. This gave the German general time to call back up and the next morning giving the central powers an upper hand. Thank you for that.
0: And that's the Battle of Gaza for you, folks. Thank you for listening, History Owls. And you have a hooty-hoo night.